Hello. My name is Nate Egger. Um, I am a member here. I'm not a pastor, but every once in a while they let me get up and talk, which is exciting to me. Um, hopefully it's helpful to you as well. Um, so this is, we're continuing our series in Proverbs today. Um, we've been going through it for several months now. Um, and unlike most books that we've gone through, this has more of a topical feel to it um, because Proverbs says the same thing in a number of different places, and it's kind of hard to walk through a passage and develop one idea. Um, before we get too far, today we're talking about generosity and greed, but before we get too far, I would just like to pray for us. Lord God, we pray, uh, Lord, that we would want you, or that we would treasure you more than anything else in all the world. Lord, would we see you as the great reward of life? Lord, would you breathe life into my hollow words? Would you fill them with your grace and your truth? Lord, I pray that this time would whet our appetites for your glory that we get to see in part here and one day we'll see more fully. Amen. So hopefully I can get through the sermon. Um, this is an important topic. Um, scripture actually talks about money quite a, bi- quite a bit. And I don't think it's because money is terribly important in itself, but it often reveals where our heart is and what our, where our treasure is. Um, Jesus himself, this is either the first or the second thing that he talks about most frequently. Um, and it requires... I think the reason it talks about it so much is it requires a paradigm shift, and it forces us to acknowledge that we are not God, Um, that we were created, and that we we don't belong to ourselves, and we don't have anything that actually belongs to us. Everything that we have been given, everything we are, is someone else's. And not only because God created us, but then he went and died for us and redeemed us, so our God owns us twice over. So I I think that our first reaction when we hear sermons on money, um, at least my first reaction, is to, like, start to hide things in a closet and, like, well, this is kind of off limits to God, Um, you know, hold on to stuff. But I want to, I hope that we can come out of today um, and continue to grow in this idea that this is an exciting opportunity. You have a bunch of stuff that doesn't belong to you, and you get to spend it for your eternal good and for the eternal good of others. And I think that's a really exciting thing. Um, I got a finance degree in college, and one of the exercises that we got to do um, was to, to play around with stocks. And they have these programs where you can, you know, you get a fake amount of money. We got $500,000. And they said, you know, invest it any way you want to. We'll come back at the end of the semester, and we'll see how you did. And that's kind of what we get. You know, we get a set, a set time on earth. We get varying amounts of resources. I don't have $500,000, at least not in black. I have it in red now. Um, <laughs> pretty close anyway. Um, but, but we, you know, we get, we get resources. We get money. We get, and we, we get this great opportunity, however long our lives are, to spend that. And to spend that in ways that, that echo in eternity. Um, so, 
I, even though this is kind of going to come across a little bit disjointed, I want to just read through a number of Proverbs. I'm not going to give you the references as I go through them, but just to give you a flavor of how Proverbs talks about wealth. So honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it to you when you have it with you. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. The righteousness, the desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the him who sells it. Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever gives to the Lord will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. So I think as we, you know, this is, you know, I picked, I picked two big themes. We can argue about this later, but um, hard work, contentment, and generosity are good, and they lead to reward. And one of the reasons that generosity is good is because it's godlike. It's, it's part of the image that we get to bear as humans. Um, we, get to, we get to show others how generous our God is. Um, and laziness and greed, on the other hand, are bad, and they lead to destruction. Um, yeah, they're bad in kind of the opposite way, you know, as generosity is good. They, they show that we don't trust our God to provide for us, that he's either not big enough or strong enough or good enough to provide for us. Um, and they do not image the, our God. Um, so before we go too much further, because this will evolve, I like 
to scheme things. Um, as those of you who know me or have talked to me for any amount of time know, I have all sorts of ideas that if I only had a little money, I would love to do. Um, this big one is knocking down houses, um, what my daughter calls broken houses in our community. I would love to get one of these cranes and just spend my weekends knocking houses down. Um, coffee shops, house made out of cargo containers. There's many more. We can talk about that at some point. Um, but the idea is that, you know, I want you to become schemers of good. Um, and I hope that you will point me back when my schemes go to my own ends um, instead of towards being schemers of good. And the verse I want us to think about, um, I think it's a memory verse for this week, but is Proverbs 14.22. And it says, Do they not go astray who divides evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. I, I picked this because I, I want you to actually think about doing good, not just assume that it will happen if you're reading your Bible and you're going to church, but actually think about it because it, it takes some thought. And the more you think about it, the better you can get at it and the more you can practice it. Um, so five questions I have for the would-be schemer. You know, why do we give? What do we give? How much do we give? To whom do we give? And what stops us from giving? We'll go through these one by one. Um, so why do we give? The quick answer is to multiply image bearers. In other words, to make disciples. Um, and this, I'm not going to read this, but this is the creation mandate. We were created in God's image to multiply image bearers. And in a perfect world, that may have just meant procreation, but in a fallen world, that requires discipleship, which is why Jesus later gives the great commission or the great recommissioning of this creation mandate, which is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Um, and that's, that's why we're so serious about it, because it's, it's the theme of Scripture. That's what we were created to do. Um, so one of the things, you know, as you're reading Proverbs that can be confusing right off the bat is, you know, when it promises reward for the generous, it often seems like it's an earthly reward. And when it promises, promises destruction, it often seems like an earthly destruction. So if you're going to read verses like this, you know, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And another one, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. The people who cur... People curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. If you read verses like that, you know, you can start to think, well, it's okay to, to want to get rich. And the Bible is actually encouraging me that. It says, if only I give God a little bit, then I'll get what I actually want. So that's, and I'm, I think that's a warped view of tithing, but that's kind of the idea. And so, so getting rich sounds nice, but it's not the goal of the true Christian. And this is said many times in many ways. Um, but Jesus, you know, says that one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Uh, Paul later writes to Timothy, um, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So, it, so being rich isn't the goal. It may be a byproduct of what you do, but it's not the goal. Um, and it's not promised to two Christians. And I think this is, you know, this is where it gets sticky in the church um, because there's a lot of people who will promise this to you. 
um, if you are faithful. You know, if you only serve X amount of days or hours, if you only give 10%, 15%, you know, $100 to this cause, then God will bless you. Um, but this passage is from what has been referred to as like the Hall of Faith in Hebrews um, 11. And it goes through all these famous men and women of faith. And at the end, it has, you know, this conclusion, it describes their lives. You know, they were tortured, mocked, flogged, chained, imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two, killed with a sword. You know, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was, of whom the world was not worthy. And Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, holds these people up as, as people that we ought to, ought to emulate in our lives. And we ought to have this, you know, he talks about looking for this kingdom in another world, like being, um, you know, walking about this world as aliens and strangers. And that's more the mindset. Some of them were rich, but a lot of them had this happen to them too. Um, so I think it's just good to keep in mind that we're not working towards a big pile of gold on earth. Um, and, you know, as I alluded to just a minute ago, that big pile of gold on earth is often the goal and promise of false teachers. It's, if you hear someone promising you that, beware. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> if someone's promising that, I, I would guarantee you that they're a false teacher at some level or have a serious flaw in their theology that you should not be taking in. Um, because the scripture, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, comes back to this idea that, you know, this desire for riches, this promising of riches to others, is a characteristic of false teachers, and it's a way of identifying them. We see that a lot in our community in, like, the Word of Faith movement. Like, you can name it and claim it, and you see it, in, you see it a lot on television if you watch, like, TVN or, you know, you see televangelists who, you know, if you just, if you just give a little seed money, you know, to my ministry, then God's going to, you know, God's going to bless you. Um, and it's hard because, because you, you can go back to Scripture and you can see those passages in Proverbs. And if you hold them by themselves, it starts to make sense. Um, so the reason I think we ought to give is not to get rich. But, um, and I, I have giving broken up into two main categories here. Um, Tithing and charitable giving. And the reason I think we tithe is to establish the preeminence of God in our lives. And preeminence simply means first importance. Like, there is an order to your giving. Um, and God wants it first. In that, in that passage I just read a few minutes ago, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. That's when, when Israelites gave their tithe. And they operated in a society where they were tithing of, like, agricultural goods. Like, it was the first part of the harvest. Like, you had been waiting all year for the harvest, and you all of a sudden had to give it away. You had to trust God that more was going to come. Um, and you didn't know that that was going to happen. Um, and then the, the dual purpose of tithing is that that money goes somewhere. It pays for, in the Old Testament, the Levites to live, the priesthood. Um, in the early church, it paid for the apostles um, and for different... <clears throat> Um, works that they were doing in our church, it pays for the pastor salaries. It pays for us to support missions. Um, and I have full-time ministry in quotes there because I don't want any of us to like think that tithing is a is a get out of jail free card or get out of ministry free card. Like we are all to be 
full-time ministry in the sense that every part of our life is pointed towards Christ. Um, it's just that some people, you know, don't do that at a factory, you know, working on a line or, you know, as a lawyer. Some people, you know, do that by running a church, you know, meeting with people, counseling people, um, you know, going overseas into other areas of the world. Um, and then charitable giving. And this, um, again, reminds us and others that God is generous. Um, it keeps us also from making idols of money and stuff. Um, and I, I, th- I think that's Im- important to remember. Um, I think, you know, after, after your needs are met, money has the tendency to distract you. It can promise things that God wants to be the fulfiller of, like your security. Um, it can promise you happiness, you know. It can allow you to pursue all sorts of other things. And, and it does, and it eventually ends up spoiling your appetite for God, you know, because you've, it's kind of like taking the candy jar and emptying it before dinner. Like you, you lose, you know, you, you've spoiled your dinner. Um, you lose your taste for that, the richness of the dinner that was to come because you, you had too many Tootsie Rolls up front. Um... And so, what do we give? Um, you know, everything we have been given. Because, it, again, it's not ours. And I, someone else broke it up into this time, talent, and treasure alliteration. So I won't take credit for that. But, um, again, this really requires a paradigm shift in our thinking. Like, this isn't our stuff. It's God's. It all goes back to him. Not 10%, not 5%, not 2%. It's not before or after taxes. It's all of it. Um, So one of the more well-known passages on stewardship, I would, I would think, is the parable of the talents, where the kingdom of heaven is compared to a, a rich ruler who leaves servants varying amounts of money, five talents, two talents, one talent, and then he goes off on a journey. And, you know, he doesn't give him a whole lot of instructions when he leaves, but it, um, when he comes back, it's clear that he was demanding something of them. You know, the one who had five made five more, and he's well done. The next one had two, and he says, well, he had two, made another two, he's got four now, he says, well done. The, the last one who got one, um, he went and buried it. He didn't do anything with it. And when his master comes back, he, he still has the one, but he didn't do anything with it. Um, and so, you know, when the master comes back, he, he throws this guy out. Um, and the analogy is that this... I mean, as far as I can read the parable, the analogy is that this guy would actually be going to hell um, because he was not faithful. And if you, if you hold that passage by itself, it can be easy to think, well, I've been given one car, I should make two cars. I've been given $100, I should make $200, and that will be successful living. Um, don't think that, please. Um, I, I think a more accurate picture of what you're actually supposed, what the returns are on our investment um, is found in the parable of the dishonest manager in Luke 16, 1 through 13, which is a strange parable because it seems to honor, like, dishonesty. Um, but in this parable, the, there's a, a guy who hasn't done a very good job at his work. His master's about to fire him. Um, and he's got, he's got, like, 12 hours left. And so he, he takes his ledger book with all the debts that are owed to his master, and he invites all these people in. And he says, so you owed 10000 let's make it 1000 You know, you owed 100 let's make it 10 um, And he goes through this, 
And he cancels all these people's debts, or at least lessens it. And, you know, still gets fired, obviously. <laughs> That's not going to help his case. But the, the master comes back and actually commends him. And he's saying, like, that was, that was a pretty smart move. You knew your time was limited. Um, and Jesus' Jesus's wrap-up of that parable says, you know, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. The kinds of people that can receive you into eternal dwellings are those that are, that are going to be there with you, that are going to be in heaven with you, that are disciples of Christ. Um, the goal of an, an unrighteous wealth, I don't, I don't think there's anything evil about wealth per se, but that just that it's earthly, that it's temporary. You know, you can use, the point is that you can use your wealth in ways that make friends for eternity, that make disciples of Christ. You can't buy people a spot in heaven, but you can fund the work of ministry. Um, you can demonstrate God's character through how you use it. You can show how worthy God is by how you use your money. And so invite others to join you in eternity. Um, and so I just kind of want to walk through the three categories that we have. Again, these are arbitrary. There's many other ways to do this. And these are my just things that came to mind. There's many other ways to do this. I hope this is more of a springboard for your own ideas than for don't turn this into a list of things to do. But, you know, I've, I wanted to th- think of giving God's time. You know, you can bring people into the daily rhythms of our own lives. You know, my wife and I eat dinner, and we take trips to the park, we shop, we watch movies, not so much sports, but um, we go for walks. Like, those are things that we can invite people to do with us. And the purpose of that is people get to experience Christians. They get to be loved on by us during those times. Um, but there are people that don't like to do those things. Um, and sometimes we have to adjust our lives to meet other schedules. And, you know, we didn't, they can't always come into our lives, so sometimes we have to go into their lives. You know, we can be setting, a time tied to, <clears throat> sorry, setting aside time to pray for others, visit others, develop new interests, changing our schedules around. I think myself and many people I come in contact with think of our schedules as rigid, like, and set things, and we're victims of them. Um, but we actually do have a say. You know, we get to choose where we work in most cases, and oftentimes in our particular jobs, we, we do have some say about when we're working. Um, and so just being willing to, to adjust your schedule to meet your mission, um, rather than letting your mission get the scraps of your schedule. Um, and then... Another way I have is serving our local church. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into even putting on um, a Sunday service, um, from kids' ministry to set up teardown. Uh, we do lots of outreaches, and we have been blessed by a lot of people um, that have helped out with those, both in the church and without. Another huge time commitment is discipling others. Like, that takes a tremendous amount of time. Um, and that's time, I think, is usually the, one of the big things that people back down from when they start to think about getting involved with MacAv or getting involved in discipleship anywhere um, is that it takes time. It takes time to pour into people's lives and to be, you know, to train them up in godliness and to be trained up in godliness. Um, and then one thing that we don't often think of when we're thinking about giving um, is, is setting aside time every week to rest. Um, some of us set aside the whole week to rest, others, no days. Um, so, so some of us, you know, need to, need to hear the part about working harder and some need to hear about rest. 
John Jacobson. Um, but yeah, this, this demonstrates a, on one level of faith that God doesn't need you to work every day of the week to bring in a paycheck or to bring in the right grade at school um, and that you can rest. You know, God, is, God can work without any of us lifting a hand. Um, so if, you know, and he commands us in creation. He models it for us. He commands it in creation that we take this weekly day of rest. It's not a restrictive thing as it was made in the Old Testament, as Jesus makes known in the New Testament, but it's, it's an opportunity to demonstrate your trust in God, just like tithing. Um, and it's, an oppor- it's a reminder to yourself again and to those around you that one day we will have an eternal rest with God. Um, this passage in Hebrews talks about heaven or eternity as a, you know, a rest. Um, and then giving up God's talent um, broke this up into homegrown skills, work-related skills, and spiritual gifts. Um, I guess that's it. Um, homegrown skills are kind of those that you develop on your own, and providing meals, grilling for outreaches, babysitting, demolition. Um, that's more like the hand demolition that we tear down houses for the Nielsens and stuff like that. Um, but that's something that everyone can do. Um, moving assistant, like today at 4.30 for Matt Ott back there. Um, coaching for Matt Glitt, tutoring, lawn care. Um, work-related skills, we have people that are in finance. You know, we have construction people, we have medical people, legal people. You have to see Anna, um, who wants to use her legal skills for the community. Um, but just th- thinking more um, about how you can bring, you know, those, those kinds of talents, those kinds of physical gifts to, to bear on, you know, a community or on, you know, your neighbors for Christ. Um, spiritual gifts, this is just a handful of them, but teaching, helping, administration, discernment. Um, and we don't have time to go into this, but these are, these are not your work-related gifts. These are things that are given particularly by the Holy Spirit. They're an extra measure of grace in areas where all Christians are, are given fruit at some level by the Spirit. Um, so these are to be used for the good of the body. And I think the teaching on spiritual gifts in Scripture is, is helpful to, to also think about your other gifts in, um, even, even though they're distinct entities. But just that you, know, you, you exist as part of an organism, as part of the body of Christ. You do not exist separate from it whether it's this body or whether it's another body, if you, are, if, you are, if you claim Christ as your Lord, you have entered into this other kingdom, this other body, um, and you need to own your part in that. You know, if you're a hand, be a great godly hand. If you're a foot, uh, be a godly foot. Um, but know that, you're, that, other, that you depend on other people and that they depend on you. Giving of God's treasure, we talked about this. Money, is the most obvious way, um, tithing and charitable giving. Um, there's other ways, though, stuff. Um, we have lots of people who have loaned cars, tools, furniture, clothing, or just given it away. Um, homes, you know, I don't know if we're still looking for Spring Hill hosting, but that was one example of people that you could open your home to for a short time to, to build on the mission of Christ. Um, sharing meals with people, bringing meals to... Uh, to Sunday brunch, um, temporary or long-term housing for interns, for, you know, single people, you know, either living together or living with families um, who, you know, aren't in a great position to buy a house. 
um, adoption, a more permanent way of opening your home. Um, and then, next slide. Whoa. Sorry. Okay, so how much and to whom do we give? And it, again, it's all-inclusive. It's everything and everyone in turn. And I say in turn because, again, I think there is a model in Scripture of an order to how you give. Not everyone has an equal demand on you, and you will clearly run out of uh, money and stuff in a house before you've, you know, by the time you reach person three, let alone three billion or six billion. So, so there's an order. It's helpful. It keeps you from getting stressed out. Um, and I think Scripture does it in this way. It, you know, it talks about that idea of first fruits, of giving a tithe. Um, and we can discuss how much tithe actually means. Um, tithe, the word, means 10%. Um, but if you go back and you look at Scripture and you add up all the Old Testament tithes, it's, more, it's closer to 25%. Um, evangelical Christians give about a half a percent of after-tax income. So... So it's not, we're not close to this. <laughs> um, some of us probably are, but um, there's a lot of room to grow in here. There's great stats about what, what could be accomplished if everyone just gave 10%. But again, I don't, I think 10% is a good lower bar. It's a, um, you know, something to, just an arbitrary goal, you know, to, to keep it in mind, to make it concrete. Um, but again, scripture is asking for more. Um, and constantly encouraging us to more. Um, so after, after you've given your first fruits to Christ, um, then I would say that you would provide for your personal and family ministry. And I use the word ministry here rather than needs because Scripture isn't calling us to just water, bread, and a tin roof um, or insulation if you live in Michigan. Um, it's, ministry is defined by basic needs. And I... I think John Piper does this great in an analogy of like a, this wartime analogy. Like you outfit your your household yourself to be on mission for Christ. Like just there's a there's a I think it's called the Queen Elizabeth. Um, it's a it was a luxury um, liner at one point um, before the first or second World War, and I mean just crazy opulent. Like if you've ever seen the Titanic, that kind of that kind of thing. Um, just, you know, just beautiful, the decorated dining rooms and, you know, um, cabins and stuff. And, you know, during the war, they actually, they actually, the army took it and they made it into a troop carrier. And so it went from carrying like 3,000 people to like 15,000 people. And it's actually set up as a museum now where you can walk through it and you can, you can see the contrast like side by side and like this is what it looked like, you know, when we weren't in war, this is what it looked like when we were in war. And just that idea that, you know, that Christian, we are, we are in a spiritual war. Um, <laughs> hopefully you knew that. Um, and, like, you know, as much as we would like, you know, to play around and do stuff, like, there's, there's work to be done. And there's, that doesn't mean there's that enjoying God's creation is wrong or that taking rest is wrong. By all means, people rest even during wartime. Um, but 
that, that you should be outfitting your life for that war. Uh, you should be cognizant of what is going on um, and that you should be doing your best to participate in that. Um, and I think part of that, this is a suggestion, um, but you know, after you've defined your basic needs for ministry, for yourself and your family, um, Sorry, as an, ex- as an example of that, I think, you can, I think housing is a good example. Like, some people lo- like, love to host. My wife and I like to host things. Um, when we were thinking about what kind of house we wanted, you know, what we wanted in it, what we wanted to buy for it, um, we were like, well, we have both really been blessed by people that are hospitable, that people that love um, having people in their homes. Um, and so we kind of outfitted our house to allow for that, you know. You know, we put our girls together in one room so we could have a free room for um, guests. We, you know, spent a little more money in our kitchen so we could provide food. We have a dishwasher to make providing food a little bit easier. Um, and so, so, like, I mean, just thinking, you know, kind of about, how the, you know, the, the structure of your life and thinking about how it encourages or discourages you from being about, you know, ministry the way you, you know, you think maximizes um, what God's given you. Um, and a- after you've thought about that, after you've, I-, I would encourage you to sit down, make a budget based on this. Um, and once you've done that, I would consider setting a cap above that budget and giving the rest away. Um, it's kind of crazy, but you don't see a lot of people do it, but I would do that. Um, and this, this I- it puts a tension between, and there's a tension in scripture, so I'm just going to leave it there, but between providing for tomorrow, Proverbs encourages you to provide well for your family, for your grandchildren even, um, but also to be generous today. Um, you know, Scripture has lots of examples of, you know, encouraging people past the point of, you know, um, you know, Jesus, we'll see in a second, you know, commends this poor widow who gives everything that she had to live on. Um, the Macedonian church is commended for giving out of their severe poverty, um, and so, so we have both, and we each have to wrestle through that, and that's a good, that's a good thing to wrestle through. I mean, we're going to end up in different places on that, and that's okay. Um, but you have to wrestle through it. Um, and I, I want also to note that charitable giving doesn't necessarily mean free. A lot of times, I think, people who are resourced, um, and they come into an area where there's unresourced, they just want to give and give and give, and they don't realize that, that that can become crippling, that can become enabling, that can engender entitlement in people. Um, and, you know, in Proverbs, there's a, let's see, what's the reference? Um, you know, it, it talks about generosity in terms of even just selling grain. You know, the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. You don't always have to give the grain away or your car away, you know, you could sell it. It can be for a modest fee or a reduced fee. You know, you can loan money at no interest. Um, But giving doesn't always mean for free, and sometimes that can be actually harmful. Um, I think that's a good thing to consider as we're giving stuff away. So what stops us from giving? Um, I thought of two things, big categories, circumstances versus sin. Um, When I think of circumstances, I think of you know, I'm too poor, I'm too busy, and that's all. Um, so, you know, too poor, I don't have a job, I'm a single mom, you know, I've got bills to pay, 
I've got school debt. I do have school debt. Um, credit card debt. And this may be true, and I, I'm not trying to invalidate those concerns. Um, but I do, again, want to note that when Scripture encourages people to generosity, it's not, it doesn't hold up the example of like the Bill Gates of Jesus' day. It doesn't say, look at how much this guy can give. It says, look at how much the poor widow can give. She gave two copper coins. Praise the Lord. Um, and it ju- that's, that's the kind of extreme generosity that Christ calls us to. Um, I'm too busy. You know, we like to work hard, play hard, spend time with friends and family, none of which is bad. Um, but sometimes that squeezes God out of our schedules altogether. And I think we need to be cognizant of that. Um, you know, we're... You know, the Good Samaritan, one of the things that stands out about him is, by comparison to the other people, he decided he wasn't too busy. You know, this Levite, this priest, they walk by this, you know, beaten up man, and they're like, I got stuff to do, I got to keep going. This is going to be too hard. There's too much drama here. I don't have time for that drama. Um, But the Good Samaritan does stop and gives very freely of his time. Um, When sin stops us from giving, um, fear. And this is often... Um, played upon by insurance agencies. Um, you know, they will ask you, you know, don't you want to know that your family's secure? You know, wouldn't you like that financial peace of mind? Um, you know, that's what, that's what insurance promises us. Um, and so it says, you know, store up, store up, store up, um, because something may happen. Something bad may happen to you. And then what? What would you do then? Um, you know, it can also be misplaced appetites. You know, we can think that our happiness comes from more stuff. Um, you know, we can become so wrapped up in our hobbies that our time and our money are just, you know, funneled into this thing that is really fun to do, but it's not, it's not bearing fruit for the kingdom. Um, and we have to, I think, constantly be reviewing our lives to think, because these come up, you know, I, w- I want to do a new hobby almost every other month. So... I have to, like, constantly be saying, no, that's not, <laughs> not right now. That's not a good thing. Um, and we just have to be cognizant of um, how that happens. And I, I, one of the things I want to bring up right now is um, I want our family, the family here, the local body, to be cognizant of this as we, you know, we're a relatively young church. We have young kids. Like, as, we, as our kids get older, um, we are going to want to put them in all sorts of sports and activities, and our kids' hobbies can eat up our mission too. Um, and you can say, yeah, I'm going to talk to other parents about God, um, and that may happen, and you know, praise the Lord when it does happen. But, but know that this is a very real danger, um, that you know, in 10 years, you know... <laughs> We're, we're all in Gross Point watching soccer games or, um, you know, doing ballet renaissance or whatever. Um, and we've, we've forgotten, you know, about what we, were, what we were here for, to share, you know, God's love with our neighbors. Um, as a note, I think Max Sports is a great way of combining <laughs> a good, you know, a healthy activity with mission. Um, Laziness, you know, it takes giving. Giving takes thought and work. It takes time to sit down and to actually think about what would benefit your, your mission for Christ, um, what would benefit your family's mission. It takes time to go through the budget. 
uh, process to re- start recording, you know, what you bring in, what you, um, what you expend. It, to me, that kind of thing is somewhat interesting. Again, I was a finance major, but, um, but for others, it's foreign. There's a lot of people in here that have never budgeted, um, and it seems like a daunting process. But I, th- I think it's helpful um, to, to know where your money goes and um, to think about it in terms of how can, how can I do more with less. Um, so in moving on to closing, um, seven characteristics of a godly schemer. Um, and I would encourage you to go through this list. This, by the way, these slides will be available on the website. Um, so you can go back through these. Um, but to go through this list and just measure them one by one. Um, you know, a godly schemer works hard in an honest job in order that he or she may give. Um, they cheerfully celebrate their role as a steward of God's grace. They're not constantly holding on to stuff. Um, but they're, they get excited about um, the opportunity to give more. Um, they give to God first. Again, that's a clear scriptural precedent. Um, it's that it's the posture of the Christian to put God first, not just in your money, but in your every thought. Um, so I would commend that to you. Um, they provide well for their personal and family ministry. They give sacrificially and devise ways of giving even more. Um, they consider how to address chronic and systemic needs. Um, these, are, these are much harder to address and I think require the pooling of Christian resources um, in order to address adequately. And so it takes more time. That's one of the reasons that we've developed a community development corporation um, to address some of the systemic issues, such as you know, poor education, um, lack of you know, stable housing. Um, but those are, those are things that model um, not just God's generosity, but his sense of justice um, and his mercy. And then a godly schemer also knows when to rest. Um, again, some of us need to focus on the number one point where it's working hard at an honest job and others need to focus on the rest part or to hear that more. Um, and I just challenge you, you know, as you're reading through this, let's think about, does, does this one describe me? Does this one describe me? Um, there are reference, scripture references that I forgot to put on for these. So if you want those, you can email me or talk to me. Um, but I didn't just make those up. Um, yeah, so it's kind of what I want to leave you with. Um, we're going to do tithe and offering now, I think. Um, but I will... I don't see those people ready, so I guess I'm going to talk a little bit more. Um, one, of the, one of the reasons that we do um, tithe, and it's, we don't just do it after sermons like this, but uh, um, we do it every week. It's perfect timing, right? Um, and I want to encourage you, this is, this is more for the local body. Like, this is a time where, you know, we are giving to our mission here. If you are not from here, please don't feel like we're, you know, trying to pull money out of your wallets. Leave those in your pockets. Leave your purses at your side. Um, this is just a way that we get to, to demonstrate all the things we talk about today. Um, and that's an exciting opportunity. And if you are a part of the local body, I, I you know, invite you to take advantage of that opportunity. Um, after tithe, we're also going to be doing offering. 
Um, and that is something that we reserve for the body of Christ. Um, it's a, um, it's a, a symbol to remind us of, of Christ, you know, br- his body being broken for us, his blood being shed for us. Um, and that is something that is not for non-Christians, for people who do not believe that Christ died and was raised for them. Um, and so if you are a Christian, whether or not you are part of this local body, we do invite you to come up. Um, the, they'll be down front um, after the tithe goes back. But yeah, please join in that time. All right, let me pray for, the, for us. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our life, Lord. What a, what a wonderful God you are. What a worthy God you are. Um, I pray that, yeah, that you would just use these tithes and offerings, Lord, to bring about your glory in this place, Lord. That you would, through, through all sorts of different means, Lord, achieve honor and glory for yourself here, Lord. Um, yeah, we pray that you would use this, use this money, this hollow money, this paper to, to make eternal um, fruit, Lord, to bring people into your kingdom. Amen.